everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Comic Source. I'm your host, Jace, joined today by a very talented writer. We've been reviewing some of his books on our DC Spotlights. He's doing a giant Spawn reread. We're going to talk about all of it. It's my pleasure to welcome Kenny Porter to the show. Kenny, thanks for joining me. Dude, thanks for having me. I'm so glad to be here. Yeah, like I said, we've been reviewing your stuff. DC Mech, Superboy, uh, obviously Schlub's coming out right now. But uh, I want to kick it off with Spawn, something near and dear. You know, I know you and I talked. We were doing Spawn Daily for a while over here at the Comic Source. We fell off trying to get it started. I saw you're doing a big reread. So give us your background on Spawn. Did you pick up the first issue back in 92 off the the rack along with what, you know, 1.7 million copies or what have you? Uh, and has it been something you followed all along? Um, yeah, so I I was a little kid when Spawn came out in the 90s, and I, like everybody else, was just super taken by the striking image of it. Like, my cousins were super into comics, and a lot of my friends' older brothers, so I took a lot of that in by osmosis of, like, finding new stuff. I was always going to the comic book shop. It was only a block or two away. I could run down there myself and grab stuff. And Spawn, obviously, when it came out, I was like, oh, my God, what is this? This is the epitome of everything that's cool about the 90s. Like, McFarlane just knew what to put on that cover to be like, awesome cape, check. (laughs) Like, uh, badass costume, check. Chains, of course. Kids love chains, as we all know. Um, So that immediately drew me in. And then even if I didn't have a lot of the early ones myself, um, I a lot of my friends had them and stuff, and then when I had the money to buy them, I would buy them. So I kind of took them in when I could of like taking turns reading each other's stuff, and I buy issues myself. Um, I bought a ton of the toys when those came out; like they were amazing. I had the um, I had the Spawn figure that had the big like fold out cape that had all oh, yeah. the holes in it and stuff, like the big retractable one, and I had like a huge violator. Uh, which was awesome. Um, I had a couple of the other ones too. I can't remember exactly which ones, but uh, those were the two that I loved the most. They were like the prize of my toy collection. And then after the movie came out uh, and I had like seen the movie, got the soundtrack and stuff. My mom went through like a real hard Bible thumping phase and uh, found out what spawn was and threw all my stuff away. Uh, uh, like everything that I had. Uh, so it was just bye-bye, like gone. So it wasn't really allowed in the house after that point. Um, so I had always like kept up with it and touched in and reading, rereading it was like, well, now that like it's been coming out and like there was the big issue 300 a couple of things years ago and everything, it was like, it's time for me to like go back and do like a full reread. Um, Cause I also got that uh, Kickstarter of the new figure that came out. So I was like, I think it's time. I think it's time to go back. So I've been doing a reread. I'm up to, I finished issue 100 yesterday or the day before. So issue 100 is about dipping in and out after the whole thing with my mom throwing everything away. (laughs) Issue 100 is about where I remember things stopping through like borrowing my friend's book. So I think issue 100 would have been around, I had it pulled up. I think it was like the year 2000. Yep. Yep. 2000. So it been like a freshman in high school. Yeah. So some of my friends had some of that stuff. So from this point on, I'm heading into uncharted waters of like what happens. Cause this 100 is where I remember like the last thing I could remember from the early years. So it's been crazy to go through, through it all and remember 
I'd like so much of the artwork. I know I'm just like ranting, but I'm just no, like excited because no. I had literally, I've had literally no one to talk to about yes. this. Like my, like I'd go on a walk through day with my wife, and I'm like, "You want to hear what I read in Spawn?" Mm-hmm. And she's like, "Absolutely not." <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, so I, I just I remembered so much of the striking artwork, whether it was McFarlane's or Capullo's, um, and that's why I had been so excited when I saw Capullo jump on Batman back during the New Fifty Two stuff because I'd remembered him from Spawn and how much I enjoyed that. So it's just been really fun going back and seeing, like, just also just seeing how much I remembered and like I would kind of stop every little bit about a volume's worth. Um, and be like, okay, do I remember what happens next? Or is this like, is this the point where I stopped and I made up the rest of my head? Cause I, didn't, I went in cold. I didn't look. So it's been really fun to go from like issue one to a hundred in this short amount of time and read it all back to back to drink it in. So after that big long rant, that's where I am with it. And that's how things have been happening. And that's how this whole reread uh, kickstarted stuff for me. So, I mean, you're coming at it from a different perspective now, obviously. Uh, first of all, more, you know, more life experiences have read a ton more comics because, uh, you know, you're a little bit younger than me. So, you you know, you didn't pick it up right off the racks like I did. You probably don't remember. McFarland got a lot of pushback on, you know, the guy wasn't a writer. He, he was known as being an mm-hmm. artist. But, man, when I went back and started my reread, I was actually pretty impressed with a lot of the the mood he was able to evoke. Is he wordy at times? Maybe overly so. Yes. Is it nineties and a little bit of its time, you know, yeah, it's dynamic art, but you're not getting sometimes a lot of narrative storytelling, but you have that perspective of being a writer now. So how was it from that experience? Did you just try to enjoy it as a, as a fan going back nostalgia or was there the writer brain in back of you going, "Hmm, I don't know if that works or that works really well. Yeah, I wasn't trying to be too critical of it or anything, but I understand what you're saying. Like, um, for yeah, for one, like you said, like it's not poorly written at all. It is very purple in the prose. Like, yep. but I mean, that's kind of what was like around that same time. The Vertigo books and stuff were yep. starting to get big, and like he was using a lot of captions, like the Vertigo books did. So it was kind of just the flavor at the time was to have like very flowery, like literary type language and stuff. I think that um, he really does treat it a lot like every comic is somebody's first comic. So probably maybe the only like real ding, and I wouldn't even call it a ding. It's just that reading it all together, the only drawback is that a lot of it is um, is reiterated for people yeah. who might be picking that up as their first one. So there's whole big chunks of it where it's like it gives you the setup over and over and over again. Granted, it gives you the setup over and over again over absolutely stunning artwork. Right. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I think that probably would be the only thing is that I don't think necessarily at the beginning it was designed to be read like in a huge chunk like right. that because it was each one felt like he was like, well, a ton of like 1.7 million people read the first one. So people coming into two who heard about that are also not going to know what happened. So I need to fill them in. So I just think like format wise, it was in between that time when people were still thinking like every comic's going to be somebody's first. I have to give them the whole premise every single time they pick up an issue towards. But the more modern thing is now where things are always collected and everything. Um, and he even started gearing towards that uh, earlier than some folks with some of the later volumes. Like, I think that's really the only thing is that 
it it was in a it was designed in a different time when things weren't going to be collected in giant chunks. So you had to be able to bring somebody brand new in every single time. Like how yeah. an issue of the X-Men in the eighties would like find a narrative reason to give you the rundown of who every character is and what they do and why they do it. Yeah, go back and reread a uh, Marvel Superhero Secret Wars, the first one, and you get yeah, you get the same thing. You'll get a page where it's all recap, like each issue. That's just the way that they they did things back then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot. It was t- a lot tougher. They're, they're just things weren't just collected unless it was like super massive or what have you. Um, do you remember when you were reading it the first time when you were going through? Was there any part of you that didn't take it seriously? Because that's the other thing about it. It does take itself very seriously you know use the the term purple which if you're not a writer everybody yeah that means kind of flowery language and there's some medieval aspects to spawn and heaven and hell and so it can be kind of esoteric and what have you um i didn't notice it when i read it as a kid i just thought you know sucked in by that art and yeah but it does take itself very seriously which you have a little bit of a different perspective uh when you get older at least i did did you find that uh to be true as well yeah i just i think that um Obviously, like when you're little and, or when you're younger and you read something, you're like like that. You're like, oh, my God, this is the most intense adult thing I've ever read in my right. life. <laughs> um, but like as I've gotten older, I'm like, all right, this is just like this is the fun flavor of it. And I mean, it fits with this because it's dealing with like heaven and hell type stuff. So you would think that it would have that sort of thing. But I just I like reading through it now. I just think it's fun. Like it's trying to lend itself to the tone like so much of Spawn is like a vibe. Um, just like the logo alone just like sells so much of a vibe of like the time and the type of artwork and stuff. Like that logo still to this day is outstanding. And um, and the imagery and the iconography, it, like it worked because everybody I know who doesn't even read comics who didn't, who maybe even didn't see the movie, like knows who Spawn is because Spawn was in the news and in the public consciousness and on toy shelves and in video games and everything. Like, I don't, I don't know that. I mean, it, it'll probably happen again, but it's been so long since like an independent character like that has just like drilled their way into the public consciousness and reading it this time, I just thought it was fun. And it, and it was really cool when, when like Neil Gaiman came in and started adding like his bits of lore and Alan Moore did his issue and Frank Miller did his Dave Sims um, that everybody started adding little bits to it. And obviously like, as I imagine, like Todd was, you know, approving and orchestrating this sort of stuff with them, but it was really cool to see different people like, well, what if we add some of this to the lore? What if we do some of this? Would we take the story in that direction? Um, and then in these later ones, like with, uh, I think his name is Brian Halberin mm-hmm. is his name. The guy's writing down yeah, the ones that I'm in the era that I'm in now. He does those like interesting, like one-off, like almost Tales from the Crypt type stories where like Spawn is just a featured character, uh, kind of like a horror host sort of thing who like shows up in the middle of the situation, which is kind of a neat take, um, which I think is just kind of a cool thing to be able to like spin it in different directions and stuff. So yeah, I don't, I don't think it like it needs to be taken seriously uh, like that. Like it's such a, and at the core of it, it's like an emotional cool setup that you know is guy goes to hell makes a deal he doesn't remember to come back and like to be with his wife like the devil makes a deal with him and then it ends up getting like superpowers 
it's just the epitome of everything that would have been cool in the 90s of like because there was a real if you i don't know how much you remember but like in the in the mid to late 90s and the early 2000s there was this real like cultural thing and it was like across the world because like looking at anime and stuff from that time there's this real thing about like trying to do an action movie sort of thing with angels and demons mm-hmm. of like trying to like to you know make those cool in some sort of way and i feel like nobody really did it as well as spawn did and if anybody tried to do it it just felt like they were aping it so i think todd was also like way ahead of the game on that one and like finding a way to actually have a cool like in with it uh so it's it's just a real interesting time capsule where things are going. I'm going to be real interested now because I only remember 90s spawn. Like I have no context for 2000s spawn. So it's going to be real interesting for me to go in and see how it was during that era. Is there anything like, so I'm interested to hear from you. Like, is there anything about the, the 2000s era that you think is like something that'd be a good tease for me or like other people who've maybe never read that? Cause I would love to hear it. Well, see, that's the thing I, that I was just about to say. I, my regular reading of Spawn fell off like a little before. Like I, I only read, I, I think seventy-seven or seventy-eight was oh, okay, off regular. Yeah. Um, and so I, when I was doing the daily Spawn, I got about to that point where I was, and then I fell off again because uh, my, <laughs> I had a co-host I started with. He had to bail. Had a second co-host. He had to bail. It was too much to do on my own. So. Yeah, I haven't read you. You're even a little farther than I am. I, you know, I dip in now and then I'd see a cool cover and I dip in and I'd read it, but I never really knew what was going on. Cause that is another thing about Spawn. Um, it's, it's pretty continuity heavy, which is good. You know, if you're, uh, you know, other than those issues that you were talking about, kind of between 75, uh, 75 and 100, there's some one of mm-hmm. stuff, but it does, you know, start to tie in. So I, I don't know. I, I'm looking to, you know, start to spawn daily back up and, and get reengaged as well. Because the other thing is, you know, I did dip in when, when Todd started this, you know, Scorched and King spawn and Gunslinger spawn. Mm-hmm. Uh, now that it has a shared universe, I want to be heavily involved in that and, and cover it on the podcast. And just, it just seems like a, such a cool idea of what he's trying to get started. But when I dipped in, I was like, man, they're referencing so many things that I just don't have context on. So that's kind of why I want to get caught up as well so yeah i'm hoping to get started rereading re- re- as well right along with you uh but you did mention i was going to ask you about kind of that neil gaiman alan moore frank miller kind of thing because it's pretty early on you know it's it's that he does this and yeah i mean mcfarland was the biggest name in comics at the time but it's still a mm-hmm. coup right to get guys like that to come in and do your comic you mentioned yeah i'm sure todd was orchestrating I wonder how much, and I want to ask, he's supposed to, I'm supposed to have him on at some point to talk about this, but what, you know, I wonder, you know, from a perspective of having been such a longtime comic fan and doing the press stuff for like 12 years now, and I'm sure you from a writing perspective, like what were those talks like, like Neil Gaiman comes in or Alan Moore comes in or or what have you, like, how do you decide? Because they really did add so much lore. And then Todd came back in and built upon that. I mean, that's just such a, huge thing. And I remember at the time not realizing how big of a deal it was that he got them to come and do an independent comic. Looking back on it now with perspective of, you know, everything I know about the industry and what have you, I mean, wow, to have those guys come in and do your independent comic that's been around, you know, at that time, less than a year, like amazing, amazing. 
Yeah, it's absolutely mind blowing. And and the thing I would be interested, I mean, even if you just ask him for me, I don't know like how touchy the Neil Gaiman stuff is because right, I know about yeah. like the lawsuits and stuff. But the thing about that issue with the medieval spawn stuff that I think is so interesting and to me, like it seems like a like a throwaway bit, but after I read it, I talked to um there's an artist and writer named Jason Howard who I'm oh, friends yeah. with, who I've collaborated with before and stuff. He's another Michigan guy. He's done like, he did like trees and big girls and stuff. And we worked on the flash together. He and I both got really moved by, there was a line in there where, cause like the whole thing with medieval spawn is like, it's a flashback explaining Angela and how there was this spawn who was a knight who was like doing something similar to what Al Simmons was doing, which was like, I realized I made this deal. I'm going to make the best of it. And Gaiman had this narration about how like this always happens with young spawns where they go through this period of denial where they think they're going to get to do something good at the beginning or turn it around or defy. And like just that little bit is like, oh, my God, like that's such a that's such a like great bit of character and world building of like Al is doomed to fail because this apparently is like an emotional cycle of like the seven stages of grief that all of the like hell spawn generals or whatever go through of thinking like, well, I don't have to be evil with these powers or whatever. Like I can do good. And that just like blew us away uh, where we were just like, Oh my God, that sets up so much in like such a great little subtle way um, that I'd be really interested if like that was always the plan that like, the older they get, the more aggressive they get and stuff. Cause you can, I mean, and I'm missing a whole swath of it, but as somebody who dived in at 300 and then some of the recent ones, like Al is meaner, it yeah. seems like in the newer ones. So I don't know if it really is something that like the older they get, the more like violent they get or something. So I, I don't know. I'm excited to find out by reading through it all, but that sort of bit of world building and stuff it's so fun to go back and like kind of speculate on um, and see sort of like the stitchings and weavings of it, so to speak. Yeah. The other thing we noticed uh, when we started doing it was, and I'd forgotten about this and it was such a big thing at first and then it kind of fell away. And I'm curious to see if it comes back and that's, he's got limited power, like limited power, right? Like there was the countdown in those early issues yeah. where everybody used powers. And then it was like, kind of went away, but I mean, he, there was not that his look hasn't stayed relatively stable but you know there were some things that happened early on where his powers kind of expanded 75 he gets these like nature elemental based powers and what have you so how much does that like recharge him and, and that sort of thing but you gotta give McFarlane a lot of credit he, the guy was always trying new stuff he was always trying to make it fun oh totally I, I made a joke with some co-workers in my rereading with I made a <laughs> I made a uh, power meter. I took the spawn thing <laughs> yeah. and made a power meter template for um, how much energy I have throughout the day for Zoom <laughs> meetings and like how it'll, I'll fill it in and tick it down like the more I get tired on Zoom meetings. Um, but yeah, like, the, so the one I think drawback to the way that I'm doing it is I'm only reading the main spawn book. Right, yep. And there are side mini things and stuff that happen that have huge detrimental consequences to it. So from issue to issue, all of a sudden, like all this stuff has happened off screen 
to you know so to speak off panel that i didn't understand or know about so um so like i didn't read the angela miniseries so when spawn like all of a sudden drops into an alley like covered in goop like i don't have any so i had to like go and look it up yeah so that's maybe the only one drawback is like i'm not doing that so like i didn't i haven't read sam and twitch so like when all of a sudden they're cops again after being privatized for a long time, I was like, okay, that must've happened in their book uh, sort of thing. So that's probably the only one drawback of just reading spawn straight up, just the spawn series. Uh, But I mean, with Wikipedia and stuff now, it's easy to just dive in and be like, okay, what did I miss? Like between stuff. Yeah. So when we started the spawn daisy, that's what we were doing. We were reading only the main series and, then I, then I realized, I was like, man, we're, we missed so much stuff. So then we decided, okay, we'll do we'll do everything. Found a reading order by this guy, Blake, who was actually my second co-host, who's a huge Spawn fan and and did this reading order and has read everything. And so we started using his reading order and he's got it in, uh, not, instead of publishing order, he's got it kind of chronologically. And it makes sense. We went and added things in. And the, the thing that happened early that I missed that really made me realize maybe we should read this side stuff is – it happens in Spawn Batman, like one of the crossovers with Batman. Well, yeah, where he gets the battering in the face, and and we were like, why does he? Why did he have to tie his face up with the shoelace? Like we went back and looked at the previous issue. I'm like, well, he got punched in the face, but it didn't look like it was like that big of a deal. But then that shoelace plays such an important role because then it's Cyan's pacifiers tied on it, it's called yeah. a necklace. And so I was like, man, we really just need to cover everything. And and again credit McFarland for doing something interesting and not, you know, I know some people knock it and say, you're just trying to sell more books, but it was a way for him to bring other creators in where, he, you know, he was still writing and inking over Capullo in the main series, but he was, you know, expanding, Hey, let me get more ideas or what have you with somebody else doing a curse of spawn, which could jump around in time and, and be some more of those vignette type stories. Like you were talking about where he's kind of the crypt keeper and what have you. Uh, so yeah, I mean, there really is a whole spawn universe. You almost wonder, why did it take them so long to put out, you know, other titles like King Spawn, Gunslinger, Scorch, that sort of thing. So, Oh, totally. Yeah. yeah. And as a kid, like that's, I know it's like a whole different world now. And a lot of people like don't understand the gluttony of like crossovers and, and movies and TV shows and stuff that we have. But like, as a kid finding out that like in the Batman Spawn thing, he hits him with a battering in the face and it splits it and yep. he stitches it. And then that's like, loosely they they say a guy and he says like a bastard or an asshole in black did it but like to be like bro he still has that and is stitched up in his main book like from the batman thing like being a kid and seeing that in the issues like blew my mind uh of just like that you know there there wasn't really any precedent for that so like the fact that he was willing to run with that was so was so awesome and so cool and uh and absolutely was like shocked me to my core that like these these like crossover things could be canonized even in a loose way and you're right that shoelace thing becomes super important because that becomes like science necklace she puts the pacifier on that she has throughout most of it yeah and that's another thing about it that i think is a little ahead of its time you know here it is you know and you know let's be clear here this is marketed at like four, you know 14 year old boy like comic yes. reader you know 100 percent. that's the target audience and yeah i'm so badass with the chains and the cape and you know just the way he looked and the dynamic art and what have you and the story of getting superpowers 
But there was so much of a romance aspect to it as well, right? With him sacrificing, coming back for his yeah. wife. And, you know, drawn beautifully by McFarlane and Capullo both. Um, and yeah, that was, a, that was the other aspect of it. The, the, almost that kind of typical drama or comedy kind of trope you see on TV, like, will they, won't they? You know, and early on, it's like, even even Wanda's husband, even Al's best friend, Terry, finds out that Spawn and Terry are one. And it was just such a, from month to month, issue to issue, is this when Wanda's going to find out? And you find yourself as a as a kid, you know, as this teenage boy who would never, you know, admit to liking romance, whatever. You're sucked into that kind of soap opera aspect. Did you find that to be the case as well? Oh, totally. Yeah. And I remember that a lot, too, that I haven't watched it since it came out, but I was... I was staying up late and secretly watching the HBO animated thing when it ran yeah, over and yeah. over. Uh, and I know that the HBO thing is almost like ultimate spawn where it's like condensed yeah. um, and, and like rearranged a little bit. Um, Cause I think in the cartoon Kincaid kidnaps Cyan, mm-hmm. but I can't remember that. I might be wrong about that. Um, but I, um, but yeah, I I like it. I remember it being played up very heavily in the animated one about like the pining romance and like that's the thing that drove him to come back and to be like a young person and a boy who's like, oh, I like a girl, but I don't know what to do about it, and I feel like a monster. <laughs> like it almost completely fits in with that of the not being able to admit you like a romance story. When it's like, oh, yeah, all this guy wanted to do was, like, have a family with this woman. And he died, and he doesn't know why. And she's he's been gone for so long, and she's remarried, and now he can never have her. Like, it's almost like an introduction into soap opera, like, love story stuff for a lot of young boys, probably. Yeah, and I think pro- probably part of the reason it's on my mind, you know, I mentioned falling off around 77, 78. And I don't know if it's because it was toward the end of the run that that I read and that it holds such a special place. But if I look at that of the ones that I've read, you know, say first 80 issues, my favorite is actually the kind of the one shot with granny Blake, where we kind of learn her origin, where she meets her husband and Al. Oh yeah. That was a great one. Yeah. And Al gets a chance to get her to, you know, walk through the threshold in the dead zone or whatever, and gets to see him. And I remember as a kid getting choked up, reading that and even when i reread it those feelings came back and i was like i mean this is a total tearjerker kind of love fest romance story uh Mm -hmm. but again just like mcfarland just doesn't get enough credit for really being able to tell an emotional story you know a lot of times it's it's really dark and you know badass or whatever but you know he can flip the script and really do a good job writing romance uh i reread it probably maybe a month ago and i was again struck by just how good that issue is yeah it's a great one that's one of the ones that sticks that sticks really close especially because there's so much of the of the series like he keeps visiting her and she can't see him yeah and she keeps thinking he's an angel or something sent back. It doesn't realize that he's like, he's been to hell as many times as he tries to like suddenly tell her, like, I wouldn't say I'm one of those, <laughs> like, yeah, because she can't see, but she can sense him and stuff. Um, yeah. I think that that one was like a really great payoff in single issue of like getting to find out what her whole story was and her husband um, and getting to know more about like the expanded family 
and everything I think was a really was a really touchstone like special issue. What else from the first hundred? Uh, if you had to pick another two or three issues, stand out for you? I mean, there's so many that really stand out. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot. Um, I really thought that the are they called at? Um, you might not have gotten this far. Did you get as because this is probably closer to 100. You didn't get to like the Ab and Zab stuff. Right? No, it's not yet. Demons. No, no, okay. I'm aware of They're it. really fun. Yeah, they're like mercenary demons who are sent to Earth to do stuff. And they like take on the personality of the people they inhabit it. So they're really fun. I think all the um, all the Sam and Twitch stuff is really fun. If I had to pick out like like moments that really stuck out though, the one that I think is just like batshit insane is the Christmas one. Oh yeah, with the kid, with the kid who sees him fighting the muggers, and like he wraps all the like TV antennas and stuff, and it looks like Santa and a reindeer when they're falling yeah. off the roof. And the kid's like, "I saw Santa," but it was really like guys wrapped yeah. up in TV antennas and stuff. That one was pretty unhinged. Um, there's that weird uh, like. Um, uh, Rashomon type one where it's the, he shows up at the house where the three guys murdered the girl and he's asking them like which one of them did it yeah with the knife like that one sticks out a lot the medieval one the medieval spawn one I think is probably one of my favorite ones just because of that lore stuff um I it was really interesting because I missed the issues with Sigor um, but my friend had the toy so it was really interesting to see all the stuff with Cygor, um, you know, the cybernetic, like, super gorilla thing. So those stuck out a lot to me just because I had seen the toy forever. My friend had the toy, but I'd missed the issues. So I didn't know who that was, like, any time, like, I came into stuff. Um, yeah, those are those were moments that really stuck out a lot for me that were fun. Oh, okay, so one more. I think this was one of the Grant Morrison ones. Where, because I forgot Grant Morrison wrote for it yeah. too, um, and they did the really interesting one where it expanded more about how like the necroplasm works. Oh, right, and that most of the universe is made out of this like this protoplasm, like necroplasm stuff, and they had found that whole town in yeah. the desert that was made up of Al's mishmashed memories Yep, because it was like on a portal to hell and there were demons there and stuff like the demons couldn't come all the way out, but they would like anybody who wandered in there, they would eat. And just seeing the scientists be like, yeah, we don't know what the fuck this is. They're like, we can't, it's not a real town. They're like, this is all mishmash buildings from different places like almost places somebody visited and like mashed together like we don't understand how it works like but it's terrifying like that could be a whole movie in and of itself like that's like an event horizon type movie of like somebody who came back from hell like accidentally like makes a town of all their memories at the whole of it because of how like the universe is put together i thought that was another like really cool world building thing of like the necroplasm okay so that just led to one more i got one more i gotta say because i this blew my mind because in my head it was cogliostro who taught him how to do magic stuff yep uh not harry houdini right oh yeah, the, which, yeah. i was just like 
okay, whoa. Like I said it down, I was like, I didn't remember this at all. And like that blew my mind where I was like, I didn't I didn't remember, or maybe I just completely missed it that Harry Houdini was a huge part of Spawn learning how to use magic. Yeah. It was so, integral to yeah. it. Yeah, that was cool. And one thing about the Morrison uh thing that I thought worked really well also that Grant he tied that back to uh to Jason Wynn having to do with with Al's you know origin whole deal with yeah. the uh, necroplasm what have you. Uh a couple that st- stood out for me and again maybe it just goes to the emotionality and it was something that yeah, it was, I think partly Todd just kind of expanding or or taking advantage of the fact that he had the freedom. Nobody could tell him no, right? The, the KKK yeah. issue uh, and the child abuse issue. Those were both, I think, yeah. really powerful ones that, you know, again, you're aiming this at 14-year-old boys and it's like, well, this is kind of heady stuff, you know? It's kind of yeah. social commentary that, again, you mentioned it earlier being a little bit ahead of its time. I think that's 100% accurate, so. Yeah. And the child abuse one comes back to bite him in the ass. Yeah, yeah. When the boys show up, in, yeah, the boys show up, in, yeah. show up in New York. So, well, I have to ask as a as a writer, uh, is would this be like a bucket list thing for you to do some do some spawn? Do you have ideas for? Oh, what you would do totally. Yeah, I think I would love to do. I don't know that I would want to do the main book, but I think it would be fun to do a mini series. Like I love the whole exploration of like all the necro how all the necroplasm stuff could work. I would love to do a different spawn at some point in history, whether it's like the far future or uh or the distant past or something, since there's been so many allegedly. I just think it would be a lot of fun to take and run with that in a different direction of like even do some story of like a forgotten spawn who didn't live very long or something during an interesting time period that you know, it doesn't show up on a lot of people's radar just because like, I love horror stuff. I love, you know, like one of my all time favorite comics is Hellblazer. Like I love that, like playing with heaven and hell and horror sort of stuff. So yeah, I would, I would have a, I would have a, a ball if, if that were to happen. So I would absolutely love it. Yeah. And I, I mean, Curse of Spawn did, did some of that stuff. Um, Sam and Twitch, you know, a little bit of the crime noir. You mentioned Cygor and never having read that and having read some of the ancillary stuff. When I've read Cygor the first time, that six issue mini, that is like some real, like Dave McKean inspired art. It It's really mm-hmm. dark and kind of, you know, horrific. And yeah, so that's the great thing about the world that McFarland's built here. It really lends itself to almost any type of story. Maybe with the exception of doing something really kind of lighthearted and fun, like a My Little Pony type. But I, you probably even <laughs> could make that. You probably even could make that work, to be honest. Yeah, there'd be a way to do it. I'm sure there'd be a way to do some like little Spawn buddies type of thing. Yeah, uh, like some sort of like fun, almost like Tiny Titans sort of thing, uh, and do it in a fun way. But yeah, I, I think it would be a lot of fun to do some sort of interesting mini about like building out the world and stuff, even if like, even if Spawn was just a secondary character in it or something like similar to the, to the one-offs, but a longer Mm -hmm. kind of story about a deal with a devil or a demon or something, or like a renegade angel sort of thing. I think that there's a, it's a, it's an open premise that like you could take in a million different directions. So I would have a ton of fun doing it. I, I, 
I'd love to, honestly. Yeah, well, uh, we all know that Todd is uh, always mining for talent. So hopefully, uh, and expanding, we know he's expanding as well. I don't know if you heard, but at San Diego Comic-Con, um, Jimmy Palmiotti was announced as doing a, a gunslinger spawn series. It's actually set back in the 1880s. Ooh, awesome. Yeah. So with his, you know, uh, experience with Jonah Hex and how talented Jimmy is, that's going to be something. Yeah. Like Primo. Uh, the Jonah Hex run is an all timer. Yeah. That's yeah. Good. I read that whole thing during uh, the first lockdown of COVID. Like, gotcha. All yeah. The Jonah Hex issues. Yeah. Actually, um, I had an interview with Jimmy a few days before Comic Con and uh, he, he was like, keep this under your hat. But, and, uh, yeah, I was like, uh, what could be more perfect? I can't think of another writer that's more perfect to write gunslinger spawn set in the old west than jimmy <laughs> like that's absolutely that's perfect yeah so, sign me up yeah exactly uh well we have a little bit of time left kenny i gotta ask you about some of your other uh work that's coming out uh sure. just had this week the latest issue of uh superboy man of tomorrow uh so give us kind of, well first of all a little bit of an elevator pitch for those that maybe just tuning in to hear about Spawn. What, uh, how do you sell the series? What do you think it's about? And then give us an idea of uh, how it came about. Was it something you pitched to DC? Did they approach you? That sort of thing. Sure. Yeah. So Superboy Man and Tomorrow features Connor Kent, the original, uh, well, not the original, but the Superboy of the 90s, the guy who's the half clone of Clark, half clone of Lex, who at this point in DC lore had been outside of the universe and just came back. And with all of the reboots and stuff that's happened, he's not the only Superboy anymore because John Kent existed. So now he'd always been an outsider. Now he's the ultimate outsider because he's in a reality where like he literally didn't exist. So seeing that Metropolis is full of people with the S on their chest right now and that the rest of the world seems to be pretty well taken care of, Connor decides like it's time to stop like just being Superboy, and it's time to go out and start making a name myself and find out, like, where am I going to fit into this new world? And I can't find anywhere on Earth that's in trouble, so I'll go somewhere else and find and find trouble. So, going to the Fortress of Solitude, he finds, like, an experimental teleportation bracelet, which I feel like is another just great, like, 90s sort of thing, and heads off and finds the first big distress signal that he can find on a journey of, like, who am I going to be? And it's time to grow up and move on. And the story follows him as he tries that and inevitably runs into a lot of existential as well as physical problems that arise because of that. So if I had to sell the tone of it, there's a lot of Dragon Ball in there because we throw him in a lot of sort of like space situations with people that are more powerful than your typical metahumans and stuff on earth and then there's a lot of just kind of like the young justice animated stuff uh as well as um as well as some other inspirations from some of my favorite manga as well as some of my favorite dc series so it's got a bit of a cosmic flair it's got like teen drama um overall like it's just my love letter to the character and how i would have wanted to see him progress and that kind of leads into how i pitched it because this was an original idea that i had um my editor angel marino came to me and asked me if there was a character you could do anything with what would you do and at the time bendis had just brought connor back mm -hmm. in young justice in the superman books because like long story short Connor had seemingly been dead, had basically been punched out of reality. 
He got stuck in Gem World, which was outside of all the, the continuity reboots, which the characters are now aware of, that their history has been rewritten multiple times. So Connor came back. Uh, he was seemingly going to be back in the fold. And then they benched him. He was missing. Like, they just weren't putting him in stuff. And so I was like, hey, I love this character. I really think he deserves to have his own book. And it's kind of time we started, even without a name change, we kind of gave him a Nightwing kind of progression. Right. Of yeah. Like, let him have his own territory or thing that he could do or grown up role on the team. So Andrew loved that. And we worked out the pitch. Um, and I came up with these uh, new characters called the Cosmeteers, who are kind of like a guardians of the galaxy meets the elite sort of team in the DC universe. There were also clones and designed to be weapons uh, created by the dominators. And from there, uh, my editor was like, hey, the new round robin tournament's coming up. Could I put this up against the other pitches that are coming in? And I was all for it. He teamed me up with uh, Genoi Lindsay, who's the artist in the book, who's incredible, perfectly captured the tone that I was looking for, that like classic DC meets kind of a Dragon Ball kind of feel. Uh, and then people ended up voting for it in droves. And it really showed us that people we're not just excited about our emotional take on this character, but excited about this character coming back and wanted to support him. So that's kind of how it all came together. And like you said, we're on issue five now. Uh, there's six in the miniseries. This takes place before. I, I think I'm going to get the number right. If I don't, nobody come at me, but it's uh, before action comics, 1051. So before they all get the new jackets mm -hmm. that they're wearing, part of their like big expanded family, so this is the adventure that Connor goes on where he ends up earning that jacket um, and taking his new role in the family. So it ended up, uh, instead of just being its own isolated thing, when they saw how much they were voting for it, it actually, the release of it got delayed by a few months so we could tie it into the main Superman line because they were so excited about it. So I had like, chatted with Phil Kennedy Johnson about it, about like where mine was going to end, what sort of things we wanted to seed into it, like leading forward, um, as well as just like a, uh, a back door if anybody wanted to use the bracelet in any sort of thing. Um, so yeah, it's been a fun, it's been a fun ride. People have seemed to really enjoy it. Uh, and I've gotten like a ton of people messaging me saying how much fun they're having with it. And then obviously like uh, Janoy has been, a godsend with being able to draw. I, I am not easy on him in the scripts. Cause I'm like, guess what, dude, whole bunch of brand new aliens. <laughs> sure. this one. Or in the end of issue five, there's a splash page reveal of a character turning into a new villain, yeah. which is something that I had always wanted to happen. And I can't believe they let me do it. Uh, we don't fully name him, but you can guess what he's called. Uh, by the end of it. So um, when is this going up? Uh, this will be up after that issue comes out. So probably early next week. Okay. So yeah. So, so spoiler, <laughs> it's cyborg Superboy, uh, which is, which I feel wasn't necessarily telegraphed, but was a cool, like we got really excited about doing it. And I was excited. They let me do it because Connor has such a history with Hank Henshaw of them fighting and stuff. So somebody 
using his body as a weapon, which is like one of his worst fears and like literally becoming a cyborg Superboy to me was just like the perfect, like cherry on top of the final, like it's time to stop worrying about who I was yesterday and time to start being the man I'm going to be tomorrow sort of thing. So I was just really excited about that moment that finally came out and I had to keep my lips sealed <laughs> until it finally yeah. did, but I was super pumped for it. Yeah. And the look, he doesn't, he doesn't look anything like Cyborg Superman. He has his own distinct look with the big iron jaw, a lot of blue, very svelte, as opposed to Hank, who looks more mechanical and kind of clunky. Uh, so, yeah, it totally works. I think my favorite line, well, you mentioned the the, the one that, that really kind of sells the series, you know, time to start becoming the man of tomorrow, which is great. But I love the line early on. I think it's an issue two or three where when he's taking on the, um, the coons and he says, I'm sorry, I can't hear you over the sound of me smashing your ships. Uh, I love that one. Yeah, that, that was so good. Uh, that scene was so fun to write where it was just like how much bravado he would have or yeah. just like how they're ready to leave. And I, I know this is like, this makes me sound like a jerk because I'm getting excited about my own writing. But it was, I was so excited to live in the character and have the character be like in the scene because originally they were just going to leave. But I was like, oh no, he wouldn't do that. Right. He would go back and brag at them that he just beat them and walk across the hull of the ship and point at them and taunt them uh, that that had happened. So yeah, I just, it, he's super fun to write because he's kind of like the more brash, like if the if the Superman family were Ninja Turtles, like he'd be the Raphael of the group of the like will stand up for his family no matter what, but is uh, is not afraid to throw hands when the universe needs it and almost like kind of hopes that the bad guys are going to throw a punch first sort of thing. So I'm really glad you enjoyed that because that was always like, I felt an integral part of the character and part of him growing up through this is realizing like, sometimes I need to just keep my mouth shut yeah. and, and get yeah, the well, job done. I mean, that is a good, a good point. Cause it brings me to, to something else. You know, you mentioned these characters in young justice and really the whole premise of the series, Connor feeling like he doesn't have his place when we reviewed the, um, the Young Justice, the series that um, Megan Fitzmartin did recently, and we were talking about how how hard it is to write those characters because they've all sort of been replaced, right? Like you you had Tim Drake, but now you have uh, Damien. You know, you had uh, Connell, but now you have John Kent. Uh, you had Cassie Sandsmark, now you have wh whoever Yara Flora, even this new Trinity, and it's like those. Those characters, like, where do you put them? Because obviously the, the original, right, is uh, there's always going to be a place for, for the original. There's always going to be a place for, you know, Dick Grayson or um, or whom, Impulse is another one. There's always going to be a place for Wally, what have you. But now you've introduced, and, and I get why publishers do this, because you want to have somebody for the younger generation who, hey, I was there when that character started. But then th they've become sort of this middle child where they're kind of forgotten, right? How do you evolve them? How do you make them relevant? And I feel like DC's not sure what what to do. And you can't just keep Connell in that same kind of brash leather jacket wearing, uh, you know, iteration of him where he never grows up and he never evolves. Because then you run out of stories to tell if he's not evolving as a character because the stories will have all been told. You know, so you've got to you've got to evolve them. And I think your series is really the first one where we're seeing that kind of growth. I'm real curious to see what comes next. I'm sure you have ideas. 
Uh, I'm sure you can't say even if there is going to be more Superboy uh, at this point, but I think it has to be done at some point, right? Oh, totally. And that's what, and you know, I can't speak to what writers will do with him in the future or anything, but like, I know that some people's criticism when the book started was why is he back to this way? And I was like, well, he never got the real opportunity to like, to like fully make a super big transition. Like there was a Jeff John stuff that was really great. That was more, that one was just a different tone. Cause that was more like an emotional, um, like kind of quieter take that I really enjoyed and stuff. But I was like, I knew I wanted this to be a big bombastic action story to, uh, to push him like, okay, I have forever been the Superboy in a leather jacket or the Superboy in a t-shirt who's, you know, at this level who will never graduate up. And so what I want to do with this was like put him back in that spot that was more defined because he hasn't been around forever mm-hmm. and then give him a path to be like, okay, I might still be called Superboy. Or whatever, but it's time to realize that like my place in the universe is going to be inspiring other people who feel like they don't have any hope. That there's always a way to win and that there's always a better way, similar to what Clark does, but in a different way. Mm-hmm. So to me, were I to continue doing it, I would love to take and put him in different genres, in different situations, on different planets, and with different groups of people to constantly one to have him grow up, but also show that like my role is going to be ushering other people and trying to help teach other people from a younger person's perspective, how to do better. And I think that's kind of what I would do just like full disclosure. I'm not doing young justice. That's been, that's been like thrown around on TikTok and stuff of like people asking for it. I would love to do it. To me, the problem that you said is I would like to do this with all of them Mm -hmm. from that group of like Bart, Cassie, Tim, and Connor are in a unique position where you said they're all kind of like the middle children of the established families that they're in. The thing that they can do that the other ones can't because uh, like Ace or Wallace or whichever, I can't remember what his nickname is. But not um, the younger Wally, not the older Wally, since of right. you know continuity shenanigans. Younger, younger Wally, Damien, um, the new Wonder Girl, like they they are as existing in like the new young generation sort of spot. What uniquely like these characters can do, where Connor is right now, is deal with that middle life. Like, what am I going to do to finally start changing the direction of my life sort of thing? And I have an idea of what I would do with it. Um, But I think that they all can serve a very unique purpose of finding a new niche and job to do in the DC universe in terms of super heroics. Similar to what Connor's doing, where he's like, there's more out there than just catching falling cars. Right. Like, there's other people that need help in other spots. Superman's got this, uh, like Supergirl's got this. There's other things that we're not thinking of that, you know, that people need help with. So that's what I would kind of do is like organize Young Justice around a new direction that I don't want to give away just in case I ever get to do it. Um, <laughs> well, fingers, fingers, fingers. Them a, yeah. Yeah, fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. 
But I have a unique take similar to this where I would be like, this is the niche that they're going to fill now. And it wouldn't it wouldn't be planet hopping or whatever. It would be like, it would be an earth-based job. They could always go to another planet if they right. needed to of like, this is what we can uniquely be great at as like these types of characters. It's like the genius of Tim, like the ferocity and heart of Cassie, like the like never give up, like, uh, like pluckiness of Bart like Connor's like instilling hope and like standing up for the little guy sort of thing. Like there's a unique thing that they could do. And I think could be explored and they don't need to sit on the shelf. Do you think they need a, a name change? It's so tough, right? Like Superboy, it's so iconic and, and Connor definitely earned that name. But at the same time, I almost feel like if you could find, maybe it just comes down to finding the right name that they could identify with that could become iconic, like a Superboy or Wonder Girl or Robin. Yeah, I think they could. Like, there's always room to, like, go buy a new alias and stuff. Like, I don't know. I, I wasn't around at the time, so I don't know how people felt about, like, Robin becoming Nightwing. Like, in in retrospect, like, everybody loves it and everything, but I don't know. It's similar to, like, how I grew up just loving the Tim Burton Batman and Michael Keaton, not knowing that people were very upset that Michael Keaton had been cast in that role beforehand yeah. when I was a yeah. kid. Yeah. So like, Mr. Mom is going to be Batman. Yeah. What? Like, so I don't know how people reacted to that. Yeah. I think there's always room for them to like, even for a short period of time, like adopt a new moniker or something that has to do with their personality. So yeah, I think that there is room for those characters. I mean, I did get to write Tim, recently in the night terrors crossover stuff so it was really fun getting to play with that character i haven't gotten to play with barter cassie uh yeah but that would be that would be a lot of fun yeah tim has had some different nicknames nothing really stuck he was red robin for a while bendis tried to call him drake uh that didn't really stick uh so i don't know uh, anyway, we have a little bit of time left. I got to give you a chance to talk about schlub first issue came out oh yeah uh so much fun writing with ryan stegman great art uh, as well. Uh, so let everybody know what it's about. Give, give them the elevator pitch. Why should they be picking this up? And and everybody, you should be picking it up. It seems like a ton of fun, almost wish fulfillment in a way. And there's only one issue out so far. So real easy to get caught up and pre-order issue two, which comes out soon. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. So the schlub is out from Image Comics. It's co-written by me and Ryan Stegman. Ryan Stegman, you know, from Vanish and Venom, all the great things that start with V, uh, and he worked on like uh, Superior Spider-Man and stuff. Um, and it's drawn by Tyrell Cannon, who's absolutely amazing, uh, with colors by Mike Spicer, who you know from all the incredible Daniel Warren Johnson books. And then we also worked together on DC Mech, so it was awesome that we got put together again on this. And then John J. Hill does the lettering. Um, and to tie it all together, it comes out through KLC, their imprint, which is Kids Love Chains, which is inspired by oh, right. Spawn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, as that famous quote. But um, yeah, so the schlub is about a failing dentist named Roger Dalton, who's like the worst guy in the world, blames everybody for his problems and the bad decisions he makes. He has a good heart. He just can't make a good decision to save his life. And he ends up swapping bodies with the most powerful superhero in the universe whose name is Cirrus and it's about uh, them pulling a freaky Friday and being trapped in each other's bodies and while it's a great second chance for Roger it is absolute doom for us uh, <laughs> yeah. and um, 
And if I had to like give you a tonal thing with it, it's a big action superhero thing with a lot of comedy in it. Like imagine if Michael Scott from the office got to be switch bodies with Superman and how much of a problem. Or if Kenny powers switch bodies with Thor, uh, like how much of a problem that would be. So that's like the basic premise. Um, Right now we, uh, like you just said, issue one came out and uh, there's still copies of issue one available. I hear it's getting close to selling out. Um, So it's still, you can call up your shop and get it. And then issue two will be out soon. We're, we're wrapping issue six right now. So we're way far ahead. Um, So issue six will be done. We have plans for a second volume, but obviously like, get out there and buy the book. You should be able to get it from a comic book store or anywhere. Um, it's been a ton of fun working on it. I don't get to co-write very often, but Ryan and Tyrell and I are very close. Like we talk all the time, almost like every day, even before we did this. So being able to do this with them is really fun. And we do it in kind of a Marvel method kind of style. So like Ryan and I sit and talk out everything that's going to happen in the issue and what the emotional arcs are, what the scenes are. I go and type it up. We review it together, make notes and stuff, and keep building until it's broken down by page and all the scenes. Um, and I don't do any panel breakdowns. I just let Tyrell go nuts with it. And he does, like, the fight scenes and everything just in the first issue of, like, them battling down through a building, like, as a cross-section sort of thing. And each level the, of the building is a different, like, wide panel and stuff. It's really fun. Um, it's, it's, it's a blast. And we... We kind of go nuts with the world building in the in the further ones. Like it was originally going to be a lot smaller, and the more we explored stuff, like I think there's nine new characters in the second issue. Wow! That all get introduced. Yeah, because we start like we just go full on invincible with it, and we're like, you know what? If there's one superhero, there's a bunch, and there's super villains um, and fun henchmen and stuff. So. It's it's been a ton of fun, and I'm really glad to hear that you enjoyed it. Yeah, I, that's a perfect way to describe it too. Michael Scott and Superman, because that's totally the vibe you get. Like, you, I mean, you guys come right out and say it several times the first issue. This is not going to go well for everybody, and you get that sense. You know, yes, Roger has a good heart, but he's been beaten down uh, by life, you know, several times, and you know, he's not. He's not real happy about that. So I wouldn't go so far as to say he's looking to get revenge, but he's just, you know, looking to have things go his way. And if he gets these powers and he's able to kind of exploit them, you know, who among us wouldn't do, you know, do the same, <laughs> you know, kind of, kind of exactly. that brashness of, uh, of Connor Kent in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we do a lot of the story going forward is us exploring Roger's family through this new lens and his life and the choices he's made And, like, maybe some of these feelings are there for a reason. And maybe, like, maybe there's a lot more complicated stuff going on with him. And he does try to do some – you'll see. There's some some really interesting stuff that I'm really proud of that we got to do emotionally with these characters, with him and Cirrus, both, like, kind of mirroring family stuff and uh, as we built out lore. So I'm really excited for people to read it. Well, that's fantastic. Kenny, thanks so much for taking the time. Go pick up Schlub, everybody. Pick up Superman Mountain tomorrow. They're absolutely amazing. Read Spawn, too. Why not? Uh, and when you do, uh, I'm sure Kenny wants to hear all about it. Where's the best place online if somebody's checking out Spawn or has any questions about any of the stuff we've talked about today? Kenny, where's uh, the best place to reach out? 
Yeah. Um, so I have a website. It's portercomics.com. Most of my stuff is linked there, but also on, uh, I'm calling it Twitter because I refuse yes. to call it the other thing. I do too. Uh, I'm at Ken Blake Porter on Twitter, and then I'm at Ken Blake Porter on Instagram as well. So you guys can hit me up there. Cool. And I'll put links to the social media uh, in the show notes, everybody, as always. So if you're having trouble finding Kenny, you can go and click there. So uh, again, thanks, Kenny, for taking the time. It's been a real pleasure chatting. Uh, And to all you listeners, we want to thank you for your support. Thanks for listening as always. And we will talk to you next time. You can find the Comic Source podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple. Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash thecomicsource. Do a search for The Comic Source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.